Blog Talk Radio. Round one. Fight, 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 fight. My minions, welcome to the balance. My name is Tom Marquis El Presidente. You have stumbled across the number one internet sports talk show in the world between the hours of 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And welcome to all of our affiliate radio stations across this great land of the United States of America. America, that's right. Doesn't get any better than that. And the great American race is this weekend down in Daytona, the Daytona 500. The granddaddy of them all, the Indianapolis 500 of NASCAR, if you will. We had the Truck Series last night, uh, Xfinity today, uh, and then uh, uh, the Monster Energy Series tomorrow. Lots to talk about in and around uh, Daytona. Uh, we've got Tyson Lautenschlager of OnPitRoad.com uh, standing by, going to be talking with us. I'm Matt Embry uh, uh, at Open Wheel. We'll probably be joining us as well. We could chime in a little bit about uh, what it some IndyCar uh, testing, and we are efforting to see if we could get Steve Wilson from Speedway Digest on with us as well uh, this hour because uh, he is actually in Daytona uh, for the big race. My name is Sean Mark Michelle Presidente. The second hour, we're going to be talking uh, Colts, the new uh, head coach for the Indianapolis Colts, Kent Sterling. Uh, from uh, CBS Sports here local uh, will be joining us. Uh, Rick Riggin, our college uh, basketball analyst, also will be joining us. We're going to be talking some uh, – we're getting merging into our NCAA basketball talk and, uh, of course, NBA. And uh, guess what? Spring training with the MLB has begun. And, of course, we have the Olympics to talk about. Um, go, uh, go Team USA – well, unless you're Tyson, and then it's uh, go Team Canada. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. We'll be right back right after this on the Balance Radio Network. You're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim. Here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. 
It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. And welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Mark with El Presidente. 917-889-8516 is our digits. We're talking Daytona 500 this weekend. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. NASCAR is back. 2018 season is underway. We got the truck season underway last night. Joining us uh, from up, our favorite Canadian, Tyson Lautenschlager of OnPitRoad.com. Good morning to you, sir. How are you? Actually, I think this you got the wrong one down. I think try South Indiana, buddy. Oh, uh, Matthew. Okay, uh, we got Matthew Embry with us. Uh, where Tyson is supposed to be joining us. And uh, the numbers didn't pop up there right there. Then my apologies. Now we have a. Uh, now we got it right. Now we got it right. Tyson Lautenschlager joins us as well. Now, uh, Tyson, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Joining us also is uh, Matthew Embry. Uh, uh, going to talk some IndyCar as well, and we're going to get into the NASCAR, all the NASCAR talk. But I wanted to get both of you guys' thoughts uh, on on some of the upcoming IndyCar season, and certainly one of the uh, stories that we found out about this week is Danica Patrick did get a ride with Ed Carpenter Racing. I think maybe that was released a little bit earlier uh, for her ride here at the Indianapolis 500. So she'll be uh, racing uh, there uh, in. Uh, uh, Daytona this weekend on Intergo 
GoDaddy car, and obviously here in Indianapolis with the Indianapolis 500. We'll start with you, Matthew Embry. A news uh, breaking yesterday, Danica Patrick gets a ride with Ed Carpenter. I don't think that was really on our radar. I think we were thinking Dry Reinbold or maybe somebody different, uh, but I think it's a good fit for both of them uh, with Ed Carpenter Racing and Danica Patrick, Matthew. Well, apparently it looks like now the two, whatever, you know, so-called disagreements they had have been put to rest for now. And for Danica Patrick, this is a big deal. I mean, this is probably the top Chevy team, if you go by speed potential, that is on the grid looking ahead of the Indianapolis 500. She probably could not have done better than what she did right now. Even Penske, considering how bad they were last year in Indy, uh, don't know how the race is going to go, but I think qualifying-wise she will be part of the story when we get to May. Well, so we'll uh, go over to you, Tyson. Tyson, I know you're covering things from the NASCAR aspect with Danica and uh, the Daytona 500. Talk with us a little bit about the preparations that Danica Patrick prepares for her final NASCAR race. Yeah, so Danica is now officially qualified in, although we knew she would be having a charter and only having uh, 40 cars at Daytona, but she ran the clash last, or uh, not last night, in the duels. Uh, on Thursday night, and uh, she she kept her car clean, which is what she needed to do, especially considering uh, that team didn't bring a backup car to Daytona, so they needed to just have a clean dual race. They did just that, came out finishing in the 14th spot, and, and Danica will start the Daytona 500 from 28th on Sunday. And I think a lot of people, you know, kind of think that team probably won't be one to watch, and and I don't think you can expect them to go out there and win, but Premium Motorsports did get a top 10 finish in the Daytona 500 with Michael Waltrip last year. So you never know. Danica could have a good showing for that small team on Sunday. Tyson, you talk about the situation right now with Danica. Is the best chance for her to get a result just to keep her nose clean, you know, and just try to stay out of trouble and then attack like in the last maybe 40, 50 laps at this point, and that's her best chance to get a result? I think so. I think that would be the really the only way um, she's going to be able to, to compete because you, you can't have a small team. I, I just don't see her being able to fight uh, all day at the front. So I think she's going to have to lay back and, and just watch everything unfold in front of her. And that's kind of how a lot of the, the back markers end up running so well in the Daytona 500. They don't run up front all day long. You look at Matt Benedetto last year, and Michael Waltrip, they didn't run in the top 10 all day uh, last year, but they both came away with top 10s at the end of the race. Talking with uh, Tyson Lautenslager and Matthew Embry, uh, our IndyCar and NASCAR segments kind of combined, uh, and uh, we're efforting to try to get uh, uh, Steve Wilson on from Speedway Digest. I know he is in Daytona. He's headed to a press conference. He's going to try to join us. He might uh, end up catching up with us later on in the show. 917-889-8516 is our digits. Matthew, talking a little bit more IndyCar. We look at the new halo, if you will, the new IndyCar's uh, windshield. Uh, compare that to F1. What's the? Uh, you think it's very, very similar? I know a lot of people are comparing it uh, to uh, the F1 uh, uh, halo or windshield, if you will. Well, obviously, it doesn't have the metal bar in front, so therefore vision is not a concern. Uh, the fog-up concern does not also appear to be a factor, at least not with the one that Scott Dixon was using. Obviously, they'll refine that uh, as they go extend it, because obviously they only did it for, you know, like a 10-lap run. But uh, ultimately, I think things went better than expected. Now, is this something we're probably going to see for 2018? 
no. I think there's still more testing to do on it before uh, they implement it, uh, probably at the earliest 2019 or 2020 uh, with the brand-new Delara that's coming out. But I think ultimately this is a positive step forward, and I think it's something that maybe F1 should take a look at because the metal bar in front of the driver, I think driver vision impairment with that metal bar, with the halo they have, uh, is going to be a factor, especially for the road courses they run on where you have to have vision and there's a lot of difference and nuances there. So I think this one with the clear shield, I think is going to be much more effective than what uh, F1 is trying to implement with one that's got a metal bar right in, drive, in driver's face. Uh, Tyson, do you have any thoughts on, uh, I know you cover IndyCar as well, do you have any thoughts on this new uh, or developing or prototype, if you will, Halo for IndyCar in the windshield and comparing that to F1 and so forth? Yeah, I think um, the the Halo that that IndyCar has put forward is much better than the one that Formula One is currently looking at because, you know, as Matt said, it has that, that metal bar in the middle, and I can't imagine an F1 driver going to a track like Spa and racing with this metal bar that is really going to get in the way of their vision path. So I think uh, IndyCar is definitely um, on the right track with this. It's going to take a little bit more time uh, testing it, but the the drivers that have tested Scott Dixon, he seems to be ha- uh, be happy with it. We've seen uh, drivers when they tested the, the F1 um, halo with the metal bar. I think it was Sebastian Vettel that said he was getting dizzy. He could not it wouldn't be a good thing um, to use in a race-type situation. So I think we're seeing uh, IndyCar move forward with a, a pretty good prototype, uh, and maybe it just needs to be tweaked a little bit. But I think um, as far as when it could be implemented, Matt's probably uh, right with 2019-2020 being um, the most realistic option. Uh, Tyson, we uh, officially opened up the NASCAR season last night with the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. Johnny Sauter wins the season uh, season opener of the NASCAR Truck Series uh, race uh, down in Daytona, uh, followed by uh, Haley Namachek, Rhodes, and LaGrasse Jr., all rounding out the top five. Talk with us about last night's race in Daytona, the Truck Series. NASCAR season is underway. Well, it seems with... Uh pretty much all of the races the speed weeks we've seen really fairly good races but the problem is these drivers and, and this has been the big thing that's been on my mind all morning these drivers are waiting way too long to make a move and try to win uh it's almost as if they're not going back and watching the other races throughout the week and they're making the same mistakes everybody's been making they're waiting until the back stretch of the final lap to try to make their move and frankly it's far too late because the leader has already, there's, they're going to hold the lead. There's nothing that you're going to be able to do because you're not going to be able to get organized enough with the guy behind you to get a good push and get out in front. Um, and we saw this last night. For, for the majority of the race, they were um, double file or, or even triple file at times and, and running two and three wide. But then uh, an instant late in the race um, forced everyone to get single file for the last five or six laps. And as soon as that happened, I knew Johnny Sauter had that win in the bag. Because Johnny Sauter is a great plate racer. He is going to do everything he can and will to defend you. And he's going to because he's so good at what he does. There's no way that when these guys try with half a lap to go to make a move that they're going to be able to make a move. And we saw that happen last night. Is a very predictable win for Johnny Sawyer, so I'm hoping today in the Xfinity Series we see something different. We 
we see someone make that move with two or three to go and actually put themselves in an opportunity to pass and, and get a win because we're not seeing that happen right now. Keep in mind, Tom, uh, as Matthew, far as the it, rules, as far as right, blocking, is the rules are different from what we're used to at the Indianapolis 500. Unlike at Indy where you have to take, pick your lane and you cannot move in reaction to another driver, that rule is not applied in NASCAR. Now, it's a rule I think that could be considered and should be considered, but for now, if the driver moves, the driver in front has the right to react, move in reaction to that. So because of that, the leader, I think Tyson could agree with this, is at a much bigger advantage at these events like Daytona and Talladega as opposed to when the leader is at Indy where they cannot move in reaction. I think that's going to be a key right now. So, yeah, you can't wait to the last lap anymore. I mean, it's the slingshot just simply does not work anymore with the restrictor plate, and it doesn't matter. I, the leader is not a sitting duck like they were you know, like in the 80s, you know, pre-restrictor plate where you could pull out that slingshot. Until, you know, they increase the closing rates, which the NASCAR drivers have been adamant they don't want to do, it's going to be extremely tough, and you're going to have to make that move earlier and earlier now because the leader is in such a huge advantage, I think, especially at the end, because they can just make the track as narrow as possible and make passing on them almost impossible, especially on the last lap. Tyson, let me ask you this. This new blocking rule and the ability to, uh, as, uh, uh, expanding on what, uh, to Matt's point, uh, as far as uh, the, the driver in the lead being able to make a move uh, in an attempt to block, basically saying blocking is legal uh, for all intents and purposes, the way I understand it. Are we concerned at all that this could get a little bit hostile and that we could uh, have some potential safety issues involved here? Um, no more than, than always. I mean, it's Daytona. It's Blocking is going to happen and big wrecks are going to happen. I, I think um, what what Matt's suggesting is totally right that, you know, because, you know, the leader has this ability to block and, and they, they can basically, by doing that, kill the momentum of everybody behind them. They're at a huge advantage. But at the same time, I don't think um, we're in a position where you could implement a a blocking rule at a track like Daytona or Talladega as much as, as nice as it may be just because it would be so, so hard to police. Um, and, and a lot of times you see the leaders use blocking in um, a, a different way than just moving up and, and impeding everybody, but they, they do it strategically. If you look at a, a driver like Brad Kozlowski, he, um, he'll move up and down from, from lane to lane, and he doesn't, he doesn't block anyone to the point where they're really chopped and they're going to you know be in a position where they're going to crash, but he, he blocks that momentum. So I don't think we can we can implement a, a blocking rule or anything like that, but it it just it brings to the point where you can't wait until the back stretch of the final lap. You you need to have more than one mile to make your move at a track like Daytona because you need to have the guys organized behind you ready to go. Matthew, uh, let me talk with you a little bit about IndyCar here for a second. Legendary engine builder Cosworth has reiterated his interest in becoming an engine supplier and partner with IndyCar uh, and, and is in talks over a move about this. And to my knowledge, Cosworth hasn't supplied an engine uh, since 2008 and the demise of Champ Car, where they had the uh, turbo, the uh, X. F uh, turbocharge uh, engine, I believe. Uh, but this is going to take a lot of funding and a lot of money. I don't know that Costworth can commit to the kind of money that's going to be needed. And 
at, at, does IndyCar really need another engine partner, uh, Matt? Here's the thing. If Alfa Romeo, which is the group that is supposedly looking at getting into the sport, joins in, and they are serious about doing this. I, I told you this about a month ago. If they are serious about doing it, just not there for brand name like Lotus was, I'm for it because that lessens the burden. In fact, that's why we talk about, you know, these 36-car fields that they're now predicting for the Indianapolis 500 right now for May. If you can extend the parameters where, say, Chevy, Honda only need to provide maybe 14, 13, 14 engines per team for, you know, for Indy, and then Alfa Romeo could pick up the rest, that is a huge boon, and that's going to make it easier to supply engines, expand the grid, and get things done. But the thing where this does not work is if you have a business like Lotus was in 2012 that is just there for show, they don't put any serious thing into it, and then you've got two guys, well, a guy and a gal, Simona D. Sylvester and John Lacey, who are absolutely slow and getting in the way of people. So this has to be done in a positive manner and in a safe manner. I, and I think right now, and I don't know if Tyson was following the 2012 Indy 500 when Lotus was there, but I think right now you have to find someone that is serious about doing this and wants to be competitive, not just someone that's there saying they want to have, you know, cars in the Indy 500 because it's not going to work effectively as we saw, you know, six years ago. So right now the thing is you have to find someone that is serious to do this and if Alfa Romeo and Cosworth are serious about putting something together that will be effective and competitive, why not? I think it's a, bit, a good thing for the series. And I think another thing as well is uh, are we going to start talking about possibly, you know, a second chassis uh, joining in to take the burden off of Delara if indeed the car count increases? Well, absolutely, and I, I guess I'm, I'm with you, Matthew, uh, about the Lotus memories, that's for sure. Well, we want to get into Daytona 500. Uh, I know that uh, we got uh, Tyson just for a few more minutes here, so we want to get all his thoughts because Xfinity uh, qualifying starts here soon. Uh, speaking of Xfinity races, uh, uh, throughout the year we're going to see uh, uh, Monster Energy drivers uh, in, the, in the booth with Fox. Talk with us about this year's Xfinity series and uh, what can we look for at Daytona today with the Xfinity uh, series race uh, Tyson well I think this year we're going to see one of the most competitive uh, seasons in the Xfinity series there are a lot of young drivers who are, who are out here trying to make their names and and a lot of really good ones you got a guy like Tyler Reddick who's moving up um, from a, a part-time schedule Chip Ganassi last year and and a former truck series driver and now he's going to be driving with JR Motorsports taking over um uh, William Byron's right, and I think he's going to be one of the drivers that you definitely need to keep an eye on those series pretty quick in, in practice. Um, yesterday, however, you, you can't always look at that as uh, a quick in practice at Daytona. You can't look at that as something to watch throughout the year, but he is an extremely talented driver, and I think we can uh, look for him to do great things this year. You have Austin Sindrick. He's going to split the, the two Penske and and Jack Roche rides, uh, Matt Tift in, in RCR equipment, what can he do versus what he did in um, with Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, drivers like Brandon Jones getting into Joe Gibbs Racing equipment, Christopher Bell, another really talented driver. There's a lot of guys out here who are go- going to be ones to watch, and, and I think they all have the potential to win today, even though we do have quite a few cup drivers in the field. Um, Kyle Larson, Austin Dillon, Joey Logano, just a few of the names that are going to be trying to win this race today. But 
the the thing with Daytona is you never really know. You can get an underdog win fairly easily if all goes well. Um, so I think it'll be a really interesting race to watch today. But looking ahead to to what we're going to see for the season, I think we have to wait until Atlanta to really um, see how things are going to shape up because that really will tell the picture of who is going to um, be competitive all year long. Matthew, uh, do you have any uh, questions or thoughts on the Xfinity race? I think another name that Tyson didn't mention, I think that should also be considered as a potential win threat, if not for the championship, has got to be Brennan Poole. Uh, this is a guy that had RCR uh, elected to stay with a three-car assault instead of dropping the two in Monster Energy Cup. I think he would have been the third driver for that team in 2018. So I think you look at potential championship favorites, I think Brennan Poole's name has to be on that list somewhere. Uh, Brennan Poole, actually, he doesn't have a, a ride this year. So, unfortunately, we, we don't see him at Daytona. And, and as far as I know, he won't be at Atlanta. Whoa. Interesting. That's, I did not know he did not shame. have a ride at that's all. That's a shame. That's a shame. Tyson, let's, yeah, uh, think, let's yeah. get into uh, – go ahead. Go ahead, Tyson. Mm-hmm. Tyson, go ahead. Sorry, I, I didn't hear your question there. Oh, no, you were saying something, so I was just letting you go ahead and finish what you were saying. I apologize. Oh, okay. Uh, I think losing the, the D.C. Solar uh, sponsorship is what really hurt um, Brennan Poole. Obviously, they decided to stay with Chip Ganassi Racing, and, and Ganassi didn't uh, opt to stay with Poole. So I think losing that uh, sponsorship, that's what's limited him and, and doesn't have him in a ride this year. So what's the option for him Sorry. for this year? Is it trying to find another ride, or is it maybe dropping down trucks, Arca? I mean, what is the options left for him at this point? I, I don't think there are a lot of options right now. And if you even, uh, just going by social media, he has been very inactive through uh, the off season. So I, I don't know if we're going to see him uh, really at all much throughout the year. And if we do, it'll be in a, a probably a partial schedule, and I don't think we'll see him driving for a big-name team either. Tyson, talk with us a little bit about Speed Week. Uh, obviously, uh, we, we, uh, last week uh, we had uh, uh, qualifications, and we saw uh, uh, Bowman and uh, the number uh, 88 Chevrolet get on the pole, Denny Hamlin. Uh, that was a tight race for the pole. And then, of course, you had the duels and a lot of action during Speed Week. Walk us through Speed Week and walk us into tomorrow's race, the Great American Race, the Daytona 500. Yeah, who would have predicted Alex Bowman in a Hendrick Motorsports car on the pole for the Daytona 500? Complete shocker. Uh, but moving on, um, we've seen definitely some of the fastest cars this week, uh, at least in the draft. The Fords are really, really good at staying organized and being together um, with the Team Penske Fords. You have uh, Ryan Blaney, who won his duel last night, Joey Logano, uh, nearly winning his duel. Brad Kozlowski crashed out in the duel but won the clash. Those cars have been up front all week long. They're really, really strong in the draft. And, and then you also have Paul Menard in a Wood Brothers car, and he was running really well uh, on Thursday night as well. The Roche-Fenway cars, Ricky Stenhouse, we saw him win two plate races last year. Wouldn't be a total shock to see him again up there this year. I think those Fords you really have to watch out for. But the Toyotas with Joe Gibbs Racing, they get organized really well as, uh, uh, also. So they're going to be strong. And then you look at how Hendrick Motorsports is going to be starting on the grid, and it's very strange. Uh, Jimmy Johnson had a crash in his dual race, so he's going to start way in the back, as will uh, William Byron. And then you have Bowman starting out on pole. 
Um, so it'll be interesting to see how those Hendrick Motorsports cars can work together if they choose to throughout the race. We often see Jimmy Johnson kind of lay back uh, with each plate race, and he's going to be starting in the back. So I wouldn't be surprised if he does the same thing again. Um, but right now, I think those Team Penske cars are probably the ones to beat uh, this year at the Daytona 500. You talk about the Tyson, I know. yesterday, no, ahead, the rules, Tyson, involving, you know, Byron and Johnson now going to a backup car. Just how much of their chances been compromised, and just how much of a step down is that backup car probably compared to the primaries that they did have on Thursday? I don't think it's really a step down at all. Um, I think we see, and this is the same with IndyCar, we see these uh, these teams, they bring as identical of a car as they can to uh, to Daytona. So I don't think we'll see too much of a disadvantage for, for anyone who is in a backup car, um, maybe opposed to David Gilland, who's driving for a really small team. He's in a backup car. But I think uh, you look at the guys like Keselowski, um, Byron and Johnson, who are all in, in backup cars, and I think they're probably pretty similar to the ones they uh, unloaded with off the truck anyway. Tyson, I know you said you had a hard stop around 930 so because uh, of the uh, Xfinity qualifications. Any final thoughts of words or wisdom, sir? Yeah, I think um, for anyone, and I, I mean, I'm not promoting gambling, um, but if you're betting on out there and you're looking for someone, that you think can win the Daytona 500, I would be picking Brad Keselowski. Despite starting in the back, I think he's the, the best plate racer NASCAR has right now, and those Team Penske Fords are just so, so good. So if you're looking for someone for a Daytona 500 pick, Brad Keselowski probably your guy. We know one thing, Keselowski will do Rob anything. Tom with the picks here on Fords. So I'm going to another wrap. Ricky Stenhouse won two of the last three prescriptive plate races. He's looked good in practice and in some of the races we've seen him earlier. I think that 17-4 is going to be real tough to be on Sunday. Well, my pick uh, will be Denny Hamlin. I really liked what I saw in qualifying. He almost got on the pole. Denny Hamlin's due for a great season. Why not start it off with a win down in Daytona? He's starting from the front. I think he'll have good control of the race. Denny Hamlin is my pick. Uh, for the Daytona 500 win. Okay, Tyson, we're going to let you go. Uh, uh, Matt, can you stick around, talk a little uh, Olympics, uh, IndyCar, or what have you, hospodge of stuff? I can stay for a few more minutes. Okay, sounds good. Hey, and uh, Tyson, are you uh, are you keeping up with your fellow Canadians in the Olympics? Uh, you got five gold, five silver, and five bronze. Certainly am. I love the Olympics. You know, we're Canadian, like as a Canadian, I love the Winter Olympics. My, I prefer the Winter Olympics over the Summer Olympics, so definitely been keeping up with it. Impressed with how Canada's been doing so far. All right, Tyson, you have yourself a good day and uh, a good race weekend, and we'll catch up with you again soon. All right, great. Thanks, Tom. Thanks. Tyson Lotsawyer on pitroad.com, our favorite Canadian, gives us a call, talks with us about the Daytona 500. Uh, Matthew Embry joins us as well uh, from at Open Wheel. Uh, is it Open Wheel now? Why do I always have such a hard time with that, yeah, man? I'm going to write it down. Or yeah, it's popular, popular Open Wheel. wheel. Okay. i got to say, though, you look at the field right now, and I think, I think a lot of people were thinking Toyota had the thing covered right now. Now, you know, the Fords look good. I'm very curious to see right now what Chevrolet has to play. I mean, like I said, their hand was kind of compromised with all the accidents that happened on Thursday, guys having to go in the back of cars. 
I think I'll be very curious to see, especially with some of these young drivers, especially at Hendrick, how much they're able to keep their patience and keep their head about starting in the back and they don't get overly aggressive where they take themselves out early. So I think uh, it may not go well for Hendrick here, but I think like Tyson said, when we get to Atlanta, it, things could change. We could start seeing those Hendrick cars starting to move forward. But I think right now, if they need a leader, I think Jimmy Johnson having two Daytona 500 wins under his belt, uh, he really needs to lead this team and get the guy saying, look, you know, we don't need to be going gung-ho right away from the start. Just stay with me, and we'll see what we can do as far as getting a result. I think that's the key that they need to take, especially with so many young drivers. And remember, the fact of the matter is rookies usually do not get much assistance or support from the veterans in terms of drafting. So I think it's going to be a big learning curve for, you know, the William Byrons uh, and certainly for Alex Bowman starting from the pole. And the pole has been not necessarily a good place to start in terms of recent history uh, at the Daytona 500. Let's talk a little bit about IndyCar. Certainly, uh, IndyCar is going to be without Elio Castroneves. He has promised to ride for the uh, Indianapolis uh, uh, 500. Uh, talk with us a little bit about life in IndyCar for Elio Castroneves, how he's adjusting, and what, uh, and how, how are fans reacting to not having uh, Elio Castroneves this year on a regular basis? Well, obviously, the hardcore fans are taking it well, understandably so. I mean, he had he did have a decent showing in Daytona in IMSA. Unfortunately, the new car blues got him, and then another accident uh, claimed the sister car. So I think, ultimately, I think you're going to see them be extremely competitive when we get to Sebring next month with the 12-hour. Then Indianapolis, I think he's got a nothing-to-lose attitude, and I think that's when we see Elio at his best. So assuming the gains that Penske did not have last year, at Indy uh, turnaround, uh, he certainly has a great chance, I'd say, if not this year, maybe next year. As long as Penske's going to keep getting them chances at Indy, I still believe he is well within the hunt of trying to get a fourth Indianapolis 500 win. So let's let's talk a little bit about the new uh, the new look, the new feel, the new chassis of the 2018 IndyCar. I've heard some rumblings of drivers like it. Some drivers don't like it. It's just going to take some getting used to. Uh, obviously, uh, they, they feel like it's going to be a lot faster. It's going to be closer to the ground. Uh, it's it's kind of a completely different feel uh, in, uh, feel for, for the drivers. Uh, talk with us about the, the new uh, 2018 chassis and what it means to the race. Well, obviously, the popularity is unstoppable. I mean, it's similar to what IndyCar had before the split in 96. So that's bringing some of the, you know, nostalgic stuff back, and maybe that'll make it easier to promote this car, saying that this was the car that was used back in the heyday, essentially. That may help things, getting fans back. And clearly, it's helping the car count. Like I mentioned uh, when Tyson was on, uh, we have 35, potentially 36 entries looking ahead to Indy. Now, that's great news for some drivers, and fortunately for some of the drivers that struggle, like Buddy Lazier, the Pippa Mans, uh, this situation may uh, eventually hurt them. So I think there's always going to be an advantage to expanding the grid. There's going to be a disadvantage, and unfortunately, I think uh, for fans of Pippa Man, Buddy Lazier, uh, making the Indy 500 in May could become uh, quite difficult if, indeed, the numbers that we are expecting now, all of a sudden, I mean, we talked about 33 being the target, we're now looking at 34, possibly as many as 36 uh, for the Indy 500, and those are numbers we have not seen uh, since the old last year of the old Delaro in 2011. 
Are we going to see uh, Simon Padajan back in the in the number one position again this year? Saint Pete, I think, will tell a lot. Uh, if he has the consistency and can avoid the DNFs that plagued him and Will Power, especially, I think you could say the same thing about Will Power. If they can limit the DNFs and get the results like Joseph Newgarden did at the second half of the season and just do that across the board consistently, uh, there's no reason why one of those two drivers, Power or Pagano, who, like you said, are probably the two best road course racers in IndyCar, can regain that number one plate. Well, we're less than 30 days away before we're on the streets of St. Petersburg. I'm getting excited and getting stoked about it. Uh, we'll talk with us a little bit about what you've uh, noticed. I've, I've seen some of your tweets about the Olympics. Uh, uh, talk with us a little bit about your, your, your thoughts on the Olympics. Obviously, Team USA with five gold, two silver, and two bronze. Well, the political factor with stuff like this involving the ties between Trump and Pence and obviously with Adam Rapon, I think that's getting kind of taken things away, which is unfortunate. I understand what's going on with that, and then all the problems that are going on in Washington right now is really overshadowing what the U.S. is doing, and I wish that wasn't the case. But, uh, you know, you've had some decent performances. Uh, Michaela Schiffer got a medal. Hopefully, Lindsey Bond will add to that and get another chance in the downhill at least, and then the super combined, so both of them still have chances to earn medals. Hockey, I got to say, I'm disappointed with what I've seen with the U.S. women's and women's hockey team. U.S. women had 50 shots on goal against Canada, was only able to score one goal, uh, really did not look competitive. I think when they get to a rematch for the gold medal, I just do not like their chances right now. I think Tyson's got my number there. And then the U.S., even though, yeah, they're going to win their group in the men's qualifying, to lose a game like they did to Slovenia really does not look good. I mean, Slovenia far and away the worst team in this tournament and to lose a game after you had a solid two nothing lead after two periods uh, it's just inexcusable i just don't see uh when it comes down to the big game that the u.s men are going to be able to put anything together i mean that loss just is too big of a concern i mean you just can't ignore it i mean it's that bad of a loss but ultimately i'd say uh you know the thing that's interesting is, I mean, you got some big surprise. I mean, last night, uh, everyone thought Anna Vyth had the Super B title wrapped up, and here comes uh, Esther Labraca from a unknown from Czech Republic, hadn't finished no better than seventh in any of her races. In fact, she's done more damage as a snowboarder than an alpine skier, and she ends up winning the gold medal last night, and nobody thought saw that coming. So... Uh, you know, that's a good thing. And then we got a possibility where she could not only win a gold medal like she did last night in Alpine, now she has a chance next week in parallel John Psalm Snowborn to win a gold medal. Uh, that's a double that uh, I don't believe we've ever seen where in two different sports, uh, one person has won gold medals in the same Olympic Games. So that's certainly something to keep an eye on. And then ultimately, uh, I mean, snowboard, the U.S. has looked good, but again, you've got to feel bad for Lindsay Jacob Bellis. I mean, she's been here four times now, the best snowboarder in terms of store cross racing in her generation, and she still does not have a gold medal. And I, I don't see her coming back at 35 in 2022 to try again. Uh, so I think as you talk about the biggest heartbreak so far, I'd say Lindsay Jacob Bellis' name uh, is the one that comes to mind the most. And how about Nathan Chen? if he had a decent short program where he doesn't play 17th based on his long program performance last night where he scored 215 points, Tom, 
if he had even been just in mm-hmm. the top ten, he would have won gold. No question about it. So that was an opportunity loss for Nathan Chen. I mean, tried six quads last night, hit five of them solidly. If he hadn't have blown in the short program, he would have easily won gold. I don't think it would have been uh, to uh, Yuzero Hanyu, who had an absolutely flawless sketch. still think that if Chen had had a decent performance or much more decent performance in the short program, he would have won gold. So, uh, you know, opportunities have been lost by the U.S. team. I think the number of golds uh, – yeah, five looks good, but only nine total medals at this point. I would have thought that there would have been a maybe 12 or 13 at this point. So certainly, while the U.S. has had their moments, uh, they've also blown a few opportunities along the way uh, in this first week. Well, let's, uh, you know, here, here's the thing. I, I've enjoyed seeing uh, uh, Chloe Kim. I, I really enjoy her. She's a lot of fun to watch. She's a Korean-American, uh, so she has a lot of family that are actually there at the Olympics that actually live there in uh, Korea. So it's fun to watch the, the young uh, 17-year-old uh, uh, win as as well. But uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, oh, Sean. Uh, uh, oh, his name escapes me. Uh John it's White. white, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He won the gold. Uh, that, go ahead. That's a person that I'm, I'm not sure NBC should be uh, using as one of their top men in these Olympic Games. Uh, for those of you that are unaware, uh, there has been an accusation placed on Sean White, a woman who has not come forward by name yet, has accused him of sexual assault. Uh, I think it would have been better off in the NBC's case not to use him as a lead. Uh, you know, contender in this situation. I know obviously incidents prove, feel proven guilty, but uh, I think you need to be careful on who you're running here because it could start a firestorm of stuff, especially with what's happened, you know, with Michigan State and these other universities over the, you know, last couple months. So I don't think putting him as one of the leaders in that situation was in the best interest of NBC. I mean, if you'd had just Schiffrin and Bond running things, I think that would have been fine. But I think, uh, you know, great story for Sean White, but uh, hopefully uh, we have some clearance on what exactly has happened here. And, uh, you know, we don't have, you know, a situation where, you know, we're not overlooking a situation where it's unfair to either Mr. White or to this potential victim as far as uh, what exactly happened and hopefully get some facts and idea of what's going on here and uh, so that somebody uh, really doesn't get hurt badly or wrongly hurt in a situation like this. Because I think this is a situation, it's just like Julie DeCaro from 6 and in the score said last night on her show, this is a situation that needs to take a much closer look and make sure, because I think people are still scared about, if it's done like this happened, reporting the situation because of the potential backlash. I think right now there just needs to be uh, something that takes care of this where, you know, there isn't that fear of, you know, replication or whatever the situation is. I think that's the bigger concern right now, not necessarily the sports achievement of some of these athletes. Matthew, now let me let me get this straight here. Are you saying there's another? Because I, I knew there was the drummer in his in his old band that he that he settled a financial uh, for some financial compensation for. Are we talking about somebody different? This is a claim of sexual harassment that has been mentioned. Now, the name obviously has not been mentioned because that's obviously protected information, but that is the claim uh, coming in, and this was mentioned, I believe, okay. at least a couple months ago. So it was a separate involving, supposedly involving Sean White himself. Now, again, the information is sketchy, but that's mm-hmm. 
it has been reported that I think there's some people, especially like I mentioned, Julia Caro, 6-7 to score, that have been adamant that NBC should have not used him as one of the top dogs as far as, you know, promoting the coverage for the Olympic Games. I think that was would have probably been a safe move, not saying that he's guilty, but, you know, to, you know, kind of keep this, you know, where it's not, you know, overshadowing the performances of some other athletes, for instance, uh, Michaela Schifrin, Lindsey Bond, or some of the other surprises that we have seen uh, so far, like Chloe Kim, Kim, for instance. I think putting him as one of the top ones in this situation uh, was a disservice to everyone on that team that's had success so far. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see what how that story pans out. You know, you mentioned a little bit about uh, Michigan State. Certainly a big fallout there with, with uh, that's carried over uh, from uh, this uh, uh, Larry Nassar thing uh, with Michigan State. Uh, Tom Izzo's in the middle of that. And not to mention the whole big FBI thing that's, that's going on. And, you know, I'm hearing rumblings that if the FBI comes down uh, here soon, which, which they might be expected to do, anybody that's been indicted or implicated in this scandal could lose their position in the March Madness. Now, this could make the March Madness uh, a little bit different this year because, you know, right now, Michigan State actually is one of the favorites to win it all, and I know you cover Notre Dame uh, quite a bit. So talk with us a little bit about your thoughts. Notre Dame basketball, we're going to be getting into some IU talk and Purdue talk as well here in a little bit. So go right ahead, sir. And I think Notre Dame is the key right now. I think the question is, did the NCAA survive? Because uh, if you remember earlier this week, uh, NCAA denied the appeal for Notre Dame to vacate the 21 wins from 2012 and 2013 uh, involving the ineligible player situation. Uh, Self-reported violation, NCAA has not reinstated those victories. Obviously, they're still going to be in the minds of everyone, even though it's going to say vacated on the list. But ultimately, uh, we're having rumblings that Father John Jenkins, the president of the University of Notre Dame, is talking about possibly breaking away from the NCAA and possibly bringing in some other major institutions and forming their own league to compete. Uh, and then, of course, you got Michigan State possibly – Keep in mind, Penn State, when the Sandusky situation got absolutely hammered, it got really hammered way more than they should have been. I think that's the big concern right now. Does the NCAA go too far in penalizing Michigan State? Uh, the questions right now about the future, obviously, of football coach Mark D'Antonio, uh, Tom Izzo with the men's basketball team, probably even Susie Merchant with the women's basketball team. All three of those questions have to be answered right now. So, at this point, uh, the thing right now is making sure the NCAA does not overstep their bounds to the point where, you know, Notre Dame, I think, is seriously considering breaking away from the NCAA uh, based on this backlash. And if they have other two groups like Michigan State, maybe, or some other ones, some big names like Texas, Texas A&M, maybe joining forces, uh, this could be a big power struggle between these universities and the NCAA, if not completely. I mean, we even heard the SEC uh, rumbling about possibly breaking away from the NCAA for their football program. So uh, the NCAA is under very fire here, and I think they need to be extremely careful on how they enforce penalties, if any, on Michigan State, because we could be talking a splintering of the NCAA and its relation between all of its school programs, if not potentially the formation of a rival league where these teams break away from the NCAA completely and try to challenge the NCAA on their own. 
Now, that's going to be interesting. I've heard some uh, talk about that. I didn't know that it was something that was seriously uh, happening. Now, uh, let me ask you this. What, who do you think would join ranks with Notre Dame if that was to happen? Well, the SEC obviously would because the SEC has made it clear that they are getting tired of the NCAA and the way they're handling things. Obviously, pay-to-play is one big issue right now that is really yep. hot on the SEC's case. So I think they would have support, uh, and, and I don't believe, and if, you know, word gets into this and the advantages, I think you might see some of those other Power Five conferences joining. But if that happens, uh, the NCAA is really going to be in a pickle. Well, I mean, in a pickup would be would be the understatement uh, of the of the of the the season. That would be that would be earth shattering if that was to happen. So, when are they talking about the timeline of this? I didn't know they were actually in serious talks. I just thought it was something that they thought, well, you know, this is what we might do. Are, are they just waiting to see what happens with this FBI scandal, or what are your thoughts on that? They're waiting to see what the NCAA does in relation right now that they recant on what happened with the Notre Dame. Uh, appeal being denied, what happens with Michigan State, and all these other things right now, and how they enforce. If they go beyond their bounds like they did with Penn State, I think there could be something that might get the wheels spinning right now. There's nothing that's in stone at this point, but I will say right now, based on what I'm seeing, Notre Dame is very unhappy about what happened there. SEC is not happy. Uh, nothing's been set in stone yet, but I'd say if things keep going and they blow or they make a poor decision with a super harsh penalty in Michigan State without merit, I think you're going to see possibly court cases, and this could get real ugly within the next year or so. Now, obviously not a timetable or anything like that or anything is in the works right now, but things could start spinning, uh, bending on how the NCAA handles these situations right now. We're talking with uh, Matthew Embry. Matthew, I know you you uh, work up there in the Mishawaka area. Notre Dame uh, is is kind of your, your your thing up there, and what you cover up there uh, outside of uh, IndyCar and, and so forth. Uh, Notre Dame versus uh, Boston College today. What are your thoughts? I'd say if Notre Dame has any chance to make the NCAA, they have to win this game. Uh, even if they go 9-9, nine and nine, I still think they're going to have to do something in the ACC tournament, knock off one or two power teams, because they only have right now one win in ACC play against a team that has a conference-winning record. And that was the game they got against NC State before Bonzi Colson went down. So right now, the resume just does not look good. I mean, it looks kind of like what Syracuse did last year. And if you go by that, Syracuse didn't get in with that resume last year. If you go by that, Notre Dame's not going to get in with the current resume they have right now, so they're going to have to do some damage here late, uh, at least finish 9-9, nine and nine, and then they're going to have to make some kind of a run in the ACC tournament. Otherwise, I think we're looking at the NIT for the Irish at this point. Well, you got Miami coming up, and then you got Wake Forest uh, coming up after that. Uh, so certainly uh, Monday, my, uh, Miami uh, comes to South Bend, and then you guys go down to North Carolina on the 24th on Saturday, the 24th against Wake Forest. Two very good teams yeah, they need that are going to be a challenge three of those for games. today and those next two. They got to have them all. I'd say right now. We've been talking with Matthew Embry, uh, our official IndyCar contributor. Gives us a call uh, talking IndyCar with us. Of course, uh, to, this is uh, Daytona 500 weekend, and Matthew uh, calling us from up in Mishawaka as well, talking Notre Dame basketball. Uh, sir, any final thoughts uh, uh, for us, uh, whether it be IndyCar, NASCAR, Notre Dame, uh, the Olympics, what have you? 
Well, I'd say right now, the big thing right now with Notre Dame has to be the hockey team. they got to come from behind when it gets Michigan. They keep this going right now. They've already cleansed the Big Ten regular season title. They get another win Sunday in Ann Arbor. They're in a very solid position. If they get through the Big Ten playoffs without limited damage, they should be the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. The big question, though, is, is when they get to these big arenas, can they avoid the freeze factor? The last three times they have been in a big arena setting, they have been blown out by a combined 18-3. to So right now, Notre Dame has got to figure out a way when they get to these big situations not to, you know, gain this unassurance of itself. Uh, if they do that, I think Jeff Jackson's team has a chance to possibly add a national championship banner. But if they can't get over that mental hurdle, uh, they're going to have another disappointment. Uh, when we get to, you know, looking ahead to the round of 16, Frozen Four, uh, at this point, I think there's still some question marks on whether or not they can get, completely get over the hump and win a national championship in a sport where Notre Dame, compared to some of these teams with older age players, et cetera, is at a huge disadvantage with, you know, the junior program in play and players not lasting for the full four years because they want to keep their professional eligibility chances and trying to make it a name for themselves in the NHL intact. We've been talking today with uh, Matthew Embry and uh, Tyson Lautenslager of uh, uh, OnPitRoad.com. It's Daytona 500 weekend. Uh, we've been talking some, some IndyCar. Of course, Matt is an uh, uh, IndyCar contributor for At Popular Open Wheel now and uh, certainly our official IndyCar contributor and is also with WSBT up in Mishawaka. So, uh, Matt, we appreciate you jumping on with us today. Uh, any uh, surprises that we can look for that you think might happen with Daytona and IndyCar, uh, whether it's the Indy 500 or IndyCar season and the na- uh, 2018 NASCAR season? Well, obviously the performance of William Byron is going to be key because he had such a dominant year in extended last year, and now he's got a car that is very potent. The question is, is he going to be able to do it in year one like Jimmy Johnson kind of did in 2002 when he was a towel contender? I don't know if that's going to happen, but that's something to keep an eye on. Willie Byron, I think, could be a threat down the road, potentially maybe getting the victory lane before the year's out. Uh, the big question in my mind right now is, can Joe Gibbs Racing win one of these big races, especially for Kyle Busch? Uh, Kyle Busch has been close so many times in Daytona. Uh, I think he's got as good a chance as he's ever going to get to win this race with, you know, a limited field, a limited challenge from Hendrick, et cetera. Uh, if he doesn't win it this year, I just don't know how uh, in the years that he's got left, Kyle Busch is going to be able to win at Daytona 500. It's either this year or I don't think he's ever going to do it. Matthew, Embry, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, any final thoughts or words of wisdom for us, sir? Like Tyson said, I think the forwards are the ones to beat right now, and I think uh, people are downgrading Ricky Stenhouse and those two wins were flukes. I don't think they were flukes. I think he is going to be a very serious contender, and he is my pick to win the Daytona 500 tomorrow. Well, quickly, let's see who this is. Uh, hi, uh, uh, this is the balance. Who's this? Yeah, hey, this is Sally from Boston. How are you? Ah! <laughs> hey, buddy, how are you? Uh, we were just finishing up our racing segment. I know you, you called in to, to give your, your thoughts on uh, uh, some NFL talk, so we'll, we'll get to you in just, in just a moment. Matt, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? Popteropenwheel.com. we got a couple things on the boost of indie entries at this point for the 500, and uh, – 
who this may help and, like I said, who this may hurt. Uh, keep an eye on that. Those will be up for next week. All right, buddy. Have yourself a good race weekend. We'll talk with you soon. Anytime, Tom. Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, We're wrapping up our uh, racing segment coming up here at uh, 10 o'clock. We've got Kent Sterling joining us from uh, CBS 1430 AM, uh, going to be joining us and uh, talking to uh, Colts. Uh, uh, joining us also now is uh, Rick Riggin from down in Evansville, Indiana. Rick, I tell you what, we've got a we've got another uh, guy. I think he's I think he's friends with uh, with Joe from Plainfield, but I'm not sure. But uh, uh, this is a uh, 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 Solly from Boston who's got some thoughts for. What, what are your thoughts there, buddy? Yeah, well, first off, there's no racing in Boston. The closest thing you got to go up to Loud, New Hampshire, that's too far of a trip for me. <laughs> I don't like to go much past the border of Massachusetts. New Hampshire, is, that's cow country up there, just like you guys out in Indy. So uh, so all <laughs> you people that are complaining about the uh, the Patriots, what people don't realize is this is all part of a grand plan that was hatched by Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick. You know, they're, they're going to get Jimmy Garoppolo back in a couple of years after he matures a bit out in, out in San Francisco. And they're going to trade for Brady and send him over to San Francisco because that's where he wants to retire. And then we get Jimmy Garoppolo back and the dynasty continues. A lot of people don't understand that. So I just want to make sure your listeners understand that there's more going on with the New England Patriots than meets the eye. Okay, Tommy? All right, buddy. We appreciate you calling, and we'll we'll have you on again soon to uh, uh, talk some uh, Celtics or some uh, Sox or, or or something with us. Does that sound fair? <laughs> yeah, because we got Marcus Smart this year, and we got Jalen Brown, and we're doing awesome. So we're gonna kick everyone's butt hey, in the Eastern Conference at hey. least. Okay, guys. Hey, follow. Yeah. What do you want, Tommy? Yeah. No, this is this is Rick. <laughs> hey, uh, so I think the uh, the whole thing of Josh McDaniels was a ploy to spy on the Colts and the health of Andrew Luck. So maybe they get Andrew Luck up there in New England after Tom Brady leaves. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. He's got to got to get that shoulder better. I don't know what he did. Fall under a truck or something? He's gone for that long of a time. I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? But that was a pretty funny tease. Huh? My sister used to do that to my friends. When I was a kid, used to tease them <laughs> like that. Think they'd be a girlfriend or something. Different world out there. All right, Sally. All right, Sally. We'll have you on again real soon. You have yourself a good weekend, sir. Yeah, you take good care, Tommy. Okay. See you later. All right, buddy. We'll talk with you. All righty. Bye bye. Oh, Sally from Boston gives us a call. Uh, he's good friends with uh, uh, Joe from Plainfield. Uh, Joe's going to ca- call in uh, at the end of this uh, segment and uh, and talk with us a little bit about the Olympics and, and what else. So uh, I don't know what we got ourselves into, Rick, but uh, here we are. Rick Riggin, our college uh, uh, football analyst and all-around good guy. Rick, we're going to take a break. We're going to be back with Kent Sterling. We're going to uh, be talking some serious conversation about the Colts, uh, the, the Pacers, and and, of course, Indiana University basketball. And we're going to be getting into our more of our NCAA basketball talk. My name is Tom Mark Lassell, Presidente. We'll be right back right after this. Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here. 
10 here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. And welcome back to the Bellas. My name's Tom Marquis, El Presidente, 917-889-8516 is our digit. One hour in the books. Thank you so much to Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, uh, giving us a call. Uh, certainly he uh, calls us from Mishawaka, covers Notre Dame as well, uh, talking some Notre Dame basketball in a preview of today's uh, Boston College game. We're going to be talking some IU here in just a moment. Thanks also to Tyson Lautenschlager of OnPitRoad.com giving us a call, talking some uh, Daytona 500, and, of course, uh, Danica Patrick racing her race, last NASCAR race this weekend. We'll see her here in Indianapolis uh, as well. But joining us now is Rick Riggin, uh, our uh, college uh, football analyst and college analyst and all-around good guy. And Kent Sterling joins us as well, a good friend of the show, Kent Sterling from the Kent Sterling Show, uh, CBS 1430 AM here in Indianapolis. Uh, good morning to you, Kent. How are you, sir? I'm great. How are you doing? Fantastic, fantastic! I am re- I am so glad that we don't have snow and ice and everything else yeah. here in uh, Indianapolis. Uh, Rick is uh, joining us as well. Uh, first thing we want to get to, and we got uh, uh, a lot we want to cover with you. Certainly, a lot of news has happened uh, in uh, college basketball. I know you, you covered that quite uh, effectively. Uh, of course, we got the NBA All Star coming up. Uh, Victor Oladipo in the All Star game, but with the Indianapolis Colts, they get their new coach, they get their guy uh, after a. a uh, uh, being left at the altar, if you will, by Josh McDaniels. Uh, I love it or hate it. I tell you what, uh, I, I think that it, it ended up being a better decision. So walk with us a little bit about uh, how that all came about, how they landed with Frank Reich. Was this a, a Jim Ursay thing? Was this a Chris Bauer thing? Talk with us a little bit about Frank Reich. Obviously, we're somewhat familiar with him because he's been here. Uh, he's uh, uh, familiar with the Colts organization. But uh, help us get to know Frank Reich, the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Which which guy? I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I meant to go to you, Kent. Go ahead, Kent. I'm so sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's why. Um, to you, Kent. 
see, uh, it, it, the whole thing, from my understanding, from people inside the building, is that this was entirely a Chris Ballard thing. Uh, the Josh McDaniels thing unspooled uh, when McDaniels talked to Kraft, he talked to Belichick, and the assumption is that he is going to be the heir apparent. They can't make that kind of announcement. They can't say anything like that publicly because it would be a violation of the Rooney rule. But it's assumed that that's the case because why else would he would he choose to stay? Some people have speculated it's got something to do with Andrew Luck and his health. That's spurious, uh, just completely non-factual. It may turn out that Andrew Luck uh, does need a secondary surgery, but nobody knows that for sure, and nobody knows whether he's going to be able to play this year or not. We're going to have to see him throw, and when we see it, we'll believe it. Frank Reich was a uh, he was not a candidate the first time around. He was not on the list of five that Chris Ballard put together, but as all those five guys got jobs and none of them were with the Colts, they kind of had to go back to the drawing board, and when they started to kind of go into a deep dig on Frank Reich, it, it was a surprise to Chris Ballard that he didn't pop and that he wasn't a candidate. And and I didn't understand it at the time either because I thought that Frank Reich, given the arc of his development as a coach, kind of warded that level of interest, uh, spent 06 through 11 here, then went to San Diego. He was the OC in San Diego for a couple of years. Then he became the OC in Philadelphia, Philadelphia wins the Super Bowl. They had a dynamic offense. They worked with a backup quarterback exceptionally well. A guy in Nick Foles who was kind of on the on the brink of retirement at one point within the last couple of years. And I was a Super Bowl champion, and, and he wound up going to Disney World. Frank Reich in the press conference, I, I think that, and this includes me, a lot of Colts fans and a lot of Colts media were kind of like, gee whiz, you know, this wasn't plan B. This was plan Q. You know, that's just uh, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. The, 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 they just kept going down the list. And finally they found uh, they landed on Frank Reich. And Reich winds up being a guy who, if you listen to the press conference, you're like, okay, let's put on some pads, a helmet, and let's go hit somebody. This guy knows what he's doing. He understands process. He understands leadership. And boy, oh boy, did he sound like a guy who's going to win some football games. Well, absolutely. They say you got the first step is to win the press conference, and I think that he definitely uh, won the press conference. Uh, Rick Riggin, uh, what thoughts and uh, questions do you have uh, for Kent Sterling of the Kent Sterling Show uh, about Kirk uh, Wright and the Colts? Well, uh, well, I can't break any of that down any better than Kent just did. But uh, besides the Andrew Luck and his shoulder, uh, the other thing I was thinking of is maybe it is more of a challenge of a rebuild situation, more than what he was thinking. Daniel's coming to Indy. That on top of the uh, whatever deal Robert Kraft was throwing at him and you know, at the same time. So, Kent, do you think it's just a total rebuild job for the uh, Indianapolis Colts and Josh McDaniels wasn't uh, just willing to, willing to dive into that challenge just yet? I don't think so because that, you know, he knew that four weeks ago. He knew that when they first spoke and, and Josh McDaniels for all his warts, he's a pretty smart guy and he's a good evaluator of an opportunity. And what, what you've got here, while it is a rebuild and while that roster after the 2016 season 
was legitimately terrible. One of the worst rosters probably in the last decade of professional football. They've got resources. They've got the number three overall draft pick, the four in the second, the three in the third, on and on and on. And then they got about $85 million bucks that they can invest in, in kind of stopgap free agents. I don't think if Andrew Luck's healthy, this isn't a 4-12 team, and it's not going to take them three to five years to get this thing kind of on the rails. I, I think that this is a team that could be competitive next year, and in two years, if they deploy their resources correctly, you know, they got a hit on those draft picks. They can't have guys – like, let's go back into Ryan Grigson's era as a GM. You can't invest in guys like Art Jones and Donald Thomas who aren't going to be on the field. If you hit with free agents and you hit with the draft choices, you got a chance to put this thing together sooner rather than later. Kent, uh, we're talking with uh, Kent Sterling of the Kent Sterling Show, uh, AM 1430 here in Indianapolis. Kent, you know, the press conference is over. They've got their guy. Uh, uh, Josh uh, McDaniels is not the coach. Frank Reich is the coach. So they've got their guy. Uh, they've got to move forward. With or without Andrew Luck, I think a lot of people are very optimistic about Andrew Luck. I certainly am one of those guys. But they've got to get down to work. Uh, they've lost a lot of time. We've, we've got to get ready for the combine. And then we've got to decide on who we're going to draft. And I think that's where everybody's talking about who are we going to draft i mean i honestly i know everybody says that running backs are a dime a dozen i like uh Shaquan barkley from uh penn state but i also like chubb uh from uh north carolina i think he's an ideal pick for us but then you've got hey do do we let barkley go for chubb or 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 what we can't have both I, I think that that's a foregone conclusion so if you're um if you're ballard reich and ursay and you're in the war room and you're getting ready for the combine in the draft what are you doing to get down to work and get, get caught up with everything? I think there are two things you have to do in order to win football games in the NFL. Number one, you got to be able to knock down quarterbacks. And number two, you got to be able to keep your quarterback from being knocked down. And so whatever resources you invest in with that number three pick, you, you've got to address those concerns. I, I talked to a guy yesterday on the show, Nate Dunlevy, who does a great job covering the Colts. Um, Nate said he thought they were going to take a quarterback based on what Chris Ballard said. So, you know, there are all kinds of irons in the fire and all kinds of opinions out there. I think you take Chubb because I think that he has an opportunity, given his skill set and given his mentality and behavior, I I think he could be a generational-type edge rush dude. But I've talked to guys, including Gil Brandt, who invented the draft combine, who thinks that Saquon Barkley – is the best running back prospect since Adrian Peterson and could be a generational uh, running back who would take a lot of pressure off Andrew Luck, Jacoby Brissett, whoever they put under center. And uh, so, you know, you could also trade back. You know, the Jets, they're going to look for a quarterback. They'd rather draft at three than six. Maybe you can spin that down to the six and uh, get a couple of twos, maybe get a future one, and, and kind of attack your issues in that way. But I think one way or another, you better get a guy who can get to the quarterback or can keep your quarterback upright. 
Kent, uh, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the uh, coordinators that uh, came along with the package, if you will. Uh, Matt Erfus, uh, a lot of people know him uh, from Dallas. He's going to be the defensive coordinator. Uh, Nick Cerrani uh, from uh, San Diego is going to be the offensive coordinator. Uh, uh, Bubba Ventori is a special teams coordinator. Uh, Rusty Jones, uh, director of sports performance. Talk with us a little bit about the supporting cast, if you will, of Frank Wright and Chris Ballard. Well, Eber Plus is a guy who's going to come in with a 4-3 concept, and, and that fits with Reich. Uh, Reich had, like, knowledge, Eber Plus and what the Cowboys did, and he liked him, he liked him in, in the way, like, they're in the same division, so they'd have to play against each other, and Reich would have to pre- uh, prepare the Eagles to go up against the Cowboys, so he was familiar with them, but not really familiar with him personally. Evidently, they got along very well, and he's very comfortable with him. Uh, the uh, the offensive coordinator is a guy with whom Reich worked in in San Diego, so he's very comfortable with him. And then Ventrone is a guy who played until not too long ago, and he's supposed to be one of the up-and-coming kind of special teams guys. And so they feel real good about each other. And what, the one thing that Reich said that I thought was really kind of meaningful in the press conference was that he he felt good about the Indianapolis Colts because the Indianapolis Colts were compelled to honor the contracts of the guys that they had done deals with, assuming that Josh McDaniels was going to be the head coach. He said that it spoke to the character of Chris Ballard and the organization, and and he was going to embrace that philosophy rather than be repelled by it, and I think that that's a good thing too. Uh, Rick, uh, I'm gonna, we're going to go ahead and start off our college uh, basketball segment because I know, Rick, you've got to uh, – can't be with us much longer, uh, neither can Kent for that matter. Uh, but I wanted to just uh, talk with us a little bit about our, our Archie Miller and IU basketball. Rick, uh, go right ahead. Uh, I know uh, Kent is a big IU guy, as am I, and uh, I know uh, as you are too, Rick, uh, outside of Notre Dame, and that's another story. But go right ahead, Rick. <laughs> Right. Yeah, well, my heart uh, lies with uh, Notre Dame football, but, yeah, I'm right there with IU basketball, too. And I just want to say that uh, I really do love uh, – you can see what Archie Miller is trying to bring to IU. They're a lot more aggressive, a lot better on defense. And uh, it just seems like he's trying to play with a bunch of pack, patchwork players, a leftover from Tom Crean's uh, – you know, years, and I think that's the problem right now. I think if Archie Miller, Kent, maybe it's a question for you. Once he gets his athletes, uh, do you think Archie is going to be able to uh, run for the Big Ten year in and year out? Yeah, I think so. I think it's just a matter of offense now, right? I mean, after the other night, Indiana leads the Big Ten in uh, defensive efficiency, which is just an unbelievable pirouette from where they were last year and in previous years with Tom Crane. I think Archie Miller's kind of got it rolling. He's got buy-in from guys. He's got a guy like Devontae Green, who I thought in November and December, I thought, man, does this guy smell like a kid who just is not a good fit and is not going to be with the program for very long or what? But he's really kind of adopted uh, and or adapted and become a, a defensive guy who can stay on the floor. And then offensively, he's very talented. If you can get Romeo Langford and pair him with Demise Anderson and Rob Finnessy and, and Jerome Hunter and, and the Jake Forrester kid, and you bring them in as a class, those guys, Demise Anderson can flat shoot. Romeo Langford can score from anywhere. 
he's an apt student. If you can go get Romeo, then that team really becomes, I, I think, very competitive very, very quickly. I love the way that this team has kind of evolved over the course of the season to the point where they're not going to go to the NCAA tournament, but they could go to the NIT, and I think they could raise some hell in the NIT. Kent, uh, IU plays Iowa today. I think uh, we just got to be patient with the Hoosiers. I think we are so anxious to have a winning team again. I think, but we just got to be patient with Archie Miller. We we know what Archie Miller can do. Uh, they got Iowa today, and then of course in Nebraska on Tuesday, and then uh, Ohio State uh, on the twenty third. So talk with us about IU going forward in the next three games, and it's just one game at a time. But today is Iowa. Uh, they're up in in Iowa City against the. Iowa Hawkeyes this afternoon. What are your thoughts? Iowa's terrible, and Indiana should beat them. Whether they were playing in Iowa City or Bloomington or on the moon, they ought to be able to beat Iowa. Nebraska, they haven't played anybody. They have the weirdest 11-4 and record I've ever seen in the Big Ten. That's a team that, because of the unbalanced schedule that the Big Ten has adopted since it's got 14 teams, They haven't had to play any of the good teams in the Big Ten twice, and they've had a chance to play all the bad ones. And so that 11-4, and I think, is entirely spurious. I think Indiana can win that game. And then that leads it to senior night next Friday night against Ohio State. And I think Indiana could beat Ohio State. I think they could win out and finish a Big Ten season with six, six straight wins, go into the Big Ten tournament, not obviously not having to play on Wednesday, but getting a nice matchup on Thursday, and then you go to the uh, the quarterfinals, and maybe you got a chance to win Friday. I mean, that would give them eight straight wins heading into whatever they're going to head into, and probably a loss on Saturday. But this is a team playing better basketball and better fundamental basketball. Their defense is better. Their offense is a little bit better, even though they're still not great shooters. You got guys buying in. You got guys playing with energy, and and I think that Indiana is in a position because they didn't play so well in November and December, and a lot of the guys who are starting now and playing deep minutes didn't play a lot of deep minutes then. You, you got teams like Purdue, Villanova, Ohio State that have taken losses recently because they've been playing really good, hard-nosed, focused basketball for a long time, back to early November. And in Purdue's case, back to August. With Indiana, they really haven't been playing that well and that hard for that long. And so I think they got fresher legs. I think they got fresher minds. And I think they got a chance to roll into March with, with a little bit of momentum and, and give us a really good idea of what we're going to see moving forward. Wouldn't that be fantastic? A guy could dream, but wouldn't it be fantastic if they won the Big Ten tournament and got into the dance? Rick, uh, what are your uh, – that would be great, wouldn't it? Uh, Rick, uh, go ahead. Uh, what what else you got for Kent Sterling? Yeah, uh, Kent, so for everything you just said, that uh, that, that breakdown, that is the uh, play on my optimism on why they still have like – it's a long shot, but it's a small chance of actually making the tournament. For every reason you just said, if we can win out, and make a showing in the uh, Big Ten tournament because I feel like the Big Ten takes about the top five or eight teams every year to the tournament depending on how good the conference is year in and year out. IU can hold on to that five, six spot, win out, make a showing in the tournament. That puts them out 20, 21 wins. Maybe that loss against Indiana State and uh, Fort Wayne early on the season is 
far back enough to the committee maybe not uh, look at that. They look at the more recent wins and the success might get them in. I mean, that's really being optimistic for me. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that those two losses, evidently, I know the committee used to look at like the last 10 and, and that kind of thing, and I wish they still did. But evidently, they weigh what happens in November equally to what happens in February. And I think that's kind of a mistake. I think that teams play well at different points in the season. And uh, Indiana obviously didn't play very well in November. There are teams that did play well in November, and I guess they would be big fans of the selection committee uh, kind of weighing all the games uh, equally. But I think Indiana, you know, even if they play in the NIT, and, and the NIT isn't a bad tournament, it would be a lot of fun, I think. You know, if they play in the NIT and they make a deep run, is that better for them? I was talking with the guys from Assembly Call yesterday. And, you know, what we were discussing is if it would be better for Indiana to go to the NIT and win two or three games, uh, maybe make it to the semifinals, make it to Madison Square Garden, would that be a better scenario than being an 11 or a 12 seed in the NCAA tournament and getting run in the first round? So, you know, they, it, sometimes the, the best thing that you think could happen might not wind up being so good, and the thing that you kind of dread might wind up being for the best. And, you know, I guess that's kind of where we, where we are with, with you know, Indiana in that we make these kind of these equivocations and, you know, we're, we're kind of we're so deep in, deeply invested in our hope for Indiana to kind of turn that corner. We're going to see kind of a silver lining wherever it comes. We're talking with Kent Sterling from the Kent Sterling Show, local here in Indianapolis. I know we're a national show, and we've kind of been homering on Indianapolis here. But, uh, you know, just some news uh, going on here. But I do want to talk about the NCAA uh, Top 25, and I want to get your thoughts on some other things going on uh, with March Madness. So we look at Virginia Tech, for, uh, Michigan State. I want to pause there with Michigan State and the fallout that's happened with uh, uh, the uh, Larry Nasser case. And now it's being spilled over uh, to other uh, sports, and uh, Tom Izzo being caught right in the middle of that. And then we have FBI, the FBI releasing some information today that there might be some more indictments come, some more schools come. And NCAA uh, hinting that if that happens, that they will not be able to play in the NCAA tournament. We could be looking at a situation where we have an NIT tournament inside the NCAA tournament. Of course, Xavier, Villanova, Texas Tech, Duke, and Purdue is on a slippery slope as well. Uh, they slipped all the way down to number eight in the top 25. So when we look at all of these stories combined before we get in, over to the uh, NBA talk, uh, what are your thoughts the rumblings, and what, what are our thoughts on this whole FBI thing? Well, the FBI thing, if you read Pete Thamel, and, and I think that anybody who doesn't read Pete Thamel is, in, is only partly educated about anything relating to college athletics. Um, you know, the, the FBI investigation, who knows when they're going to release information or if they're going to release information uh, to the public or to the NCAA from that investigation. If they do, what people close to the investigation have said is that this is going to touch almost everybody. And, and Hall of Fame coaches are going to be caught up in the wake of this deal. And, and the thing that I kind of struggle with in all of this is we've all known this. You know, they, there's been no question that college basketball players have been paid via shoe companies forever. And that assistant coaches, some head coaches, agreements with agents, and put money in their pocket through the brokerage kind of 
at the finder's fee and and uh, kind of a referral fee. And that's just the way the business of college basketball is run. And, you know, everybody's kind of in nod, nod, wink, wink. It's uh, it's all clean and above board, but we've known that it wasn't. And and if if the economics of college basketball and college football are going to change radically, then I, there's there are going to be some unintended consequences. I, I think that like the NCAA has operated in such a vacuum, and they they have been allowed. And and by the NCAA, I mean the college presidents who comprise the membership of the NCAA, not Mark Emmert necessarily and kind of his deputies who try to maintain some kind of fair play rationale within the, uh, the platform of college sports. Um, but there's been, it's kind of worked one way and they've, they've advanced sort of this vision of what they would like it to be in, in another way. And when Mark Emmert tried to take that on head on, when he took this job, he was rebuffed seriously by college presidents he wanted to reform stuff seriously from the moment he walked into that office and college presidents were like you know what no no we're not going to do that we like it the way it works it kind of works the way it works despite the fact that it runs roughshod over the rules that exist and and i kind of worry that the game that we all kind of know and love is going to be altered significantly and forever by the results of this this investigation and i'm not sure it's necessarily good for college basketball moving forward to to completely replate the 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 accountability that's going to be assessed through ruled and and i'm a big rule guy and and i don't want i don't want schools to be rewarded through breaking the rules everybody does they do it in the same way Kids get paid, which I think is ultimately a good thing because they generate value. And so I really wonder the problems that we're going to fix through the release of this information and the NCAA kind of lowering the boom on the widespread corruption in college basketball. I really wonder if that's going to be in the best interest for college basketball as a whole. I, I totally agree. I totally agree 100%. Kiss Sterling, the Kiss Sterling Show joins us uh, real quickly. The Indiana Pacers are doing good. I think there's good, uh, a good uh, fusion there. Victor Owen Depot, I like him. I saw his tweet. He said, uh, my favorite basketball player of all time is Michael Jordan. My favorite basketball player right now is myself. And he's got to be enjoying being out in L.A. He's going to be in the slam dunk contest tonight. Thoughts on the Pacers, Victor Owen Depot? I think, you know, uh, the uh, Paul George fallout. Uh, felt pretty good for the Pacers. Absolutely, and I think Victor Oladipo is a really good guy. I, I think that Paul kind of started to go wayward when he became involved in sort of this all-star culture with the NBA that he wasn't kind of strong enough as a personality to to sort of not hear LeBron James welcome him to that club and take it seriously and become more a brand than a basketball player maybe. And, and more a brand unto himself than a member of the Indiana Pacers. But I don't think that that's going to be the case with Vic. I, Vic's a really strong dude. I think he's out in L.A. He's going to have a good time, but he's going to come back here, and he's going to be strong for the Pacers. Pacers 33-25 and 25 at the break. They got three kind of cupcake games, two against Atlanta and one against Dallas coming out from the break. 
So, you know, they're looking at 36 and 25, 11 games over 500. Nobody in their right mind thought that the Pacers were going to be able to get there at any point in uh, 2017, 2018. Sabonis is playing really, really well. I, I think that this has been a, a not I, a great just in a strong enough term to describe the effect that this, this trade has had for the Indiana Pacers, both from a basketball perspective and from a cultural perspective. And, uh, man, does the, the future look bright for this team and Kevin Pritchard, Nate McMillan, and, and all the guys involved in this, like, hasty, hasty rebuild that everybody thought was going to take two or three years. This thing's rolling early. Miles Turner, 21. Domas Sabonis, 21. They're going to get better and better and better over the next six, seven years. This has a chance to be a really, really solid franchise in the NBA. Absolutely. Rick Rickett, we're going to give you the final word for Kit Sterling, uh, <laughs> as I know that both of you uh, have to go, but go ahead, Rick. All right, and uh, it's back to IU basketball, go, uh, basketball though. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're talking about what, what, what is better for IU, the uh, NIT or, or, the, uh, or, or the big dance, March Madness, uh, you know what, right now, this year, I'm going to say it's the NIT. And I say that because I'm thinking about a team like Wichita State and Greg Marshall has built that program off their NIT win several years ago. And now since they've won that NIT that year, they, they, they've been a top 10, 15 program year in and year out. It's a very, very good program. Uh, I think something like that can jumpstart a team like IU and Archie Miller's uh, era at IU. I think the NIT might be better. And then my, uh, my question is, uh, even though uh, – the basketball season here in high school isn't over yet, but how close is IU to landing uh, Romeo Langford? You know, I, I really think, and uh, Romeo's going to be down at Vanderbilt today, uh, but I think it's between, and this is what I've heard for probably the last year, it's between Indiana and Kansas. And Romeo is a really interesting dude who's going to go through his process with his family, and he's going to figure out what's best for him. Um, it, it, whatever he decides, it wouldn't surprise me. But I, I think that he understands at New Albany High School what he means to that community. And I think he relishes the opportunity to be a, as kind of uh, a, a hero to kids. I think down there he goes to kids' birthday parties. He sits and signs autographs for hours after every game, both home and road. I think that he's a guy who understands the kind of legacy that is possible for him to build at Indiana University. That he would be a, a kind of a cultural icon at Indiana in a way that it would be impossible for him to be at Kansas. At Kansas, he'd be one of another, you know, another a recruiting class of five five star kids. At Indiana, he would be that guy. And, and I think he and his family really appreciate the opportunities that uh, await a kid like him uh, as being sort of that guy, both in the short term and in the long term. I, I would kind of be surprised if it wasn't Indiana, but I'll, I'll certainly, you know, I'm going to be a fan of Romeo Langford wherever he plays. He is a great kid. He is a great player. He's humble. He's He is – that community in New Albany understands exactly who that kid is and what that kid is, and he has never given them a reason to doubt his 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 behavior, his character, his uh, determination, his his willing to represent the community. He's just been 
uh, kind of a perfect favorite son for New Albany. And I, I would love to see him come to Indiana, but I'm going to support him wherever he goes. Kent Sterling joins us uh, today uh, uh, from the Kent <clears throat> Sterling Show, one of the best afternoon drive shows here in the in the Indianapolis metro area, 1430 uh, a.m. Uh, Kent, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? Uh, boy, KentSterling.com, uh, at Kent Sterling on Twitter, Kent Sterling on Facebook. And like you said, <laughs> you know, the Kent Sterling Show on CBS Sports 1430, one of the best. There are only three of them, Tom. You know, and it is. I think that we uh, we are definitely one of the three best sports uh, sports talk shows in afternoon drive in Indy. I think you hit the nail on the head. Oh, I, I think you're I think you're absolutely right. When I have a Derek Showtime, I tell him the same thing. And when I have J and V on, I tell him the same thing. So I get I give equal treatment to all of you. Can't you have yourself a good weekend, sir? Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. Bye. All right, good luck to you, Kid Sterling of Kid Sterling Show. If you want to find Kid Sterling, just Google him. He's right uh, there. Uh, joining us now also is uh, our good friend Joe from Plainfield. Uh, Joe, how how are you doing today, sir? Hey, good morning, Joe, Tom. I'm doing well. well. How are you? Yeah, can you hear I'm, me? I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I, I I know that uh, you've been uh, you're, you're on social media now. Uh, tell us, uh, tell us about your social media experience. I, I followed your Twitter and then I see that there's another Twitter going on here. Are, are, can we help you out with your social media at all, Joe? Oh yeah. Well, I, I forgot my password on the first one, so I had to make a second, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm at, uh, Joe Plainfield 69. That's at on Twitter. Joe Plainfield 69. So, that's on the Twitter. Yeah. So did you did you figure out the following part? I I, I saw your tweet. Do, do you uh, follow people around the mall asking them to follow you? Uh, so really, what you do? There's a button there called follow. No, I'm going to let Rick talk to you as well because Rick is kind of an expert on the social media and Twitter. Uh, Rick, uh, what what uh, pointers can you give Joe from Plainfield for the Twitter? Well, I would say definitely uh, follow people that really interest you. I mean. You know, like your favorite athletes, you whatever. I don't really follow many actors or singers because you know that's just whatever. Really into the sports thing, and then tweet, tweet about what they're saying. Tweet about the games that are on. Uh, when you retweet them, put your own quote to their retweet. Put your own opinion to it, and that's how you gain notice on Twitter and get followers. And hopefully, uh, I, you know, like I'm a big fan of Twitter trolls. I, I love when people troll me because of stuff I've said on this show here. That's like one of my favorite things, only because I love the interaction. So if you're really looking forward to uh, having fun with Twitter, definitely follow uh, people that uh, you like in the sports world. Quote their tweets and what they send out, put your own opinion to it, and let the good times roll. There you go, Joe. And, Joe, I know you've got some, some uh, really big opinions and thoughts and so forth. Uh, you said that you've been watching the Olympics. How's that been going for you? Well, it's been going pretty good. Um, I did see one thing. I saw that uh, P.F. Chang was hosting the Olympics. Is that the case? And oh, if so, does that give China no. an unfair advantage? P.F. Chang is a is a restaurant. Uh, not they're not hosting the uh, Olympics now. I think you saw that because. There was something on the Twitter and on the social media about a station in Chicago that had their graphic wrong that said P.F. Chang was hosting the uh, 
uh, Olympics, but it's Pyeongchang, not P.F. Chang. Oh, okay. Well, that makes a lot more sense. Um, yeah, I've got another question. Uh, Go ahead, you know, buddy. I've heard of the Kiss Army, and I've heard of the Juggalos, you know, the people that follow around Insane, insane Clown Posse and those sorts of things. But one thing I was surprised to see, apparently the fans of the band OAR have started a country and are now competing in the Olympics. That's crazy. That's real fandom right there. I've actually never heard of the band OAR. <laughs> <laughs> so, so hey, I don't know uh, what you're you talking know, about, dude. Olympic athletes from Russia. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Joe. Now, I'm a big fan. One of my favorite favorite uh, uh, events is the skeleton. Tell us about that. I think you like that too, don't you? Oh yeah, skeleton's one of my favorites. Honestly, I think that I could be a skeleton athlete in the Olympics because every time I go to Splash and Safari down in Holiday World. I go head first down the slides, even though they tell me not to. And I don't even have a sled when I'm doing it, so I imagine the sled would help me out a lot. Sometimes during the winter when things are real iced over, I'll sneak up there with some aluminum foil and some uh, wax paper, and I'll just, you know, slide down when when it's all iced up. That's a good time, Tom. you got to wear a helmet, though. That's one thing they got right. That you got to wear a helmet. Well, you know, and what's what's the one uh, that Rick? What's the uh, event where they go around and they they go and they shoot different targets with the skis? What's that called? Oh, that's the biathlon, the skiing and rifle shooting. Biathlon. Now, you you have some experience yeah. with that too, don't you, Joe? Oh yeah, I got a lot of experience with that. Uh, back when I was uh, growing up, me and the boys would go out there with our cross country skis. We'd go out there with our BB guns, and we'd you know, kind of play war or shoot at each other, we'd wear eye protection. I mean, we weren't stupid. But when I did that, my mom got pissed. I didn't know you could make a career out of it. <laughs> well, Joe, you know, one more thing we got to let you go because I know Rick's got to go too. Uh, I was talking with you a little bit about curling, and you said that uh, you think you could be a good curler, and you got some, some advice for people who might want who are aspiring curlers. Yeah, I think that's. You know, curling is one of the most inspirational sports of the Winter Olympics, in my opinion, because it I feel like it's a great opportunity to kind of show a rags to riches story where, um, you know, if you practice your art, even if you're just, you know, in the kitchen mopping up floors, sweeping things, if you practice that art, you practice that skill, you can become an Olympic athlete too. So, anyway, I appreciate your guys' time. I do I have to hop off, but thanks for letting me call in, Tom. You guys have a great day. All right, we'll make sure we follow you on the Twitter. (laughs) All right, Rick, you have yourself a good day, buddy. I know you got to get going as well. Appreciate you jumping on and talking some IU basketball with us. Where can people find your work and your masterpiece of search? Yeah, it's on Twitter at Rick and underscore Rick. You know, definitely tweet at me, Notre Dame football, IU basketball. You know, a lot of things sports, so uh, just don't tweet me any uh, NBA stuff. I, uh, I refuse to watch it. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a kid from the 90s. I loved the team when Jordan played. Uh, it's, it's a very dull sport now, but uh, at Reagan underscore Rick on Twitter. Thanks for having me on again, Tom. 
All right, buddy. We'll talk with you again soon. Rick Riggin, uh, our college football and college analyst and all-around good guy. And uh, Joe from Plainfield, uh, he's really becoming a, a – I, I follow him on the Twitter, if you will. I think he said it was Joe from Plainfield69 uh, uh, on the Twitter. So uh, give him a, a shout. I know he's following the Olympics, and we'll be tweeting out about that. My name's Tom Mark Lassell, Presidente, myself, and Mo from the BS Sports Show should be joining us. We're going to be talking some more NBA All-Star talk, and we're going to be getting into some more talk about the NCAA and the MLB is in spring training. Baseball is back. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim, here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Porklet, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. All right, and welcome back to The Balance. We've got 90 minutes in the book. We've got a few more minutes left on the clock here. Joining us is Mo from the BS Sports Show. Uh, thanks to Tyson Lutschlager, uh from uh, On Pit Road uh, joining us. Uh, Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor. We talked IndyCar, NASCAR, obviously Daytona 500 weekend. Kent Sterling from the Kent Sterling Show, uh, local here in Indianapolis, gives us a call uh, talking about Colts and Frank Reich and uh, IU basketball 
and a little bit of a bit, little bit of Pacers. And of course, Rick Riggin joined us as well. Rick had to go. Uh, we had a call from Joe from Plainfield talking with us about the Olympics. Uh, we'll get that up on social media for you as well. But joining us now is uh, Mo from the BS Sports Show. Mo, how are you, sir? Good. You you miss you missed the call from Joe from Plainfield about the Olympics. We'll have to we'll have to get that out to you. It was it was one for it was one for the books. That's for sure. Um, so well, that, that was calculated. About... I did it on purpose. <laughs> That's what happens when I give you advance notice, right? No, I'm just kidding. Yep. Uh, so now we're. We're talking. Uh, we were talking uh, NBA and NBA uh, All Star Weekend uh, with Kent Sterling. Obviously, Victor Olimbito Depot from the Pacers are uh, is at uh, in the slam dunk contest tonight. Uh, but you know, one of the things about the Pacers, I know we're homering on the Pacers today. Uh, but you know what? I think you're playing with house money right now. Be happy with it. Enjoy it. I mean, I don't think anybody expected them to to be at 500 where they're at now. I think it's they're they're having fun, and as I mentioned, Victor Owen Depot's tweet yesterday. He said his favorite basketball player of all time is Michael Jordan, but his favorite basketball player right now is is is, is himself, and so he's got to be liking it uh, right now. What are your thoughts on the Pacers, Victor Owen Depot, and the outlook for the Indiana Pacers? Well, I think it's fun, but there's definitely some tweaking that they need to do uh, to this roster. The, the thing you don't want to see is the Pacers wind up in that seventh or eighth playoff playoff spot because the one place you don't want to be in the NBA is in the middle. You either need to be terrible or need to be good. And, you know, right now, this, I, I mean, even though they've had success against the Cavs, this isn't a team that can beat the Cavs in the seven-game series. So they're fun to watch. But, you know, when it comes to, to uh, at draft time and in the offseason when they need to add pieces around <clears throat> Victor Oladipo, you know, you, you don't want to be in that mediocre spot. But they are definitely a fun team to watch. They're uh, a fast-paced team. But they definitely need some more scorers on this team. Victor Oladipo, uh, when he's not in the game, the Pacers have been bad. So he definitely is going to need some help. Let's talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers. They just totally uh, changed the sheets on their team, and the only person that they had left was LeBron James, and they're going out, they're making a statement, and they're certainly making a statement to the Boston Celtics, and they're certainly making a statement in the East saying that, hey, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers are still here. Yeah, I mean, you know, the uh, this new looks Cavs team is kind of fun. Uh, they got guys that can score the basketball, and believe it or not, they have guys that can play defense, so – it's uh, it, it's definitely a team to reckon with. I think they're definitely uh, the team to beat in the East. Uh, there's no doubt. And the the biggest thing, and I think the key thing, is that LeBron James looks re-energized, and that is definitely what you want if you're a, a Cavs fan. Well, absolutely. So talk with us a little bit about the rumblings of uh, LeBron James. LeBron James uh, uh, has not said that he's going to stay with the Cleveland Cavaliers. I guess he's delivered everything that he said he was going to do. He was going to come back to Cleveland and win a championship. He has done that. There's rumblings that saying that he wants to go to Golden State, which I don't believe. But there is a some talk that's starting to get some legs, and that's with the Houston Rockets. And if you look at the Houston Rockets behind the uh, the Golden State Warriors, they're the favorite to win an in an in BA championship. Uh, could LeBron James be eyeing uh, the Rockets? Well, I mean, here's the thing if you're LeBron to consider. Your easiest path to the NBA Finals every year is definitely in the East. The West is going to be tough. I, I don't think for one second that LeBron goes to Golden State. And the reason is I think he realizes what that would do to his legacy and, and the tarnish it would put on it uh, in fans' eyes. Uh, I mean, the Rockets are interesting, but I don't think that you can, with those three contracts, then you could build enough team around them uh, for them to compete with the Warriors. 
I think that uh, it's possible LeBron stays in Cleveland at this point. But if he does, uh, and he invokes his player option for next year, that would put the Cavs' uh, payroll at about three hundred million dollars, one hundred fifty million in in salary, and then one hundred fifty million in luxury tax penalties. Which Dan Gilbert hasn't been afraid to pay those. But that would be the highest payroll in the history of the NBA. So if we were to right now put your money on the NBA championship game and champion, who would it be? I mean, right the second, it honestly would be Cleveland. And here's why is that, uh, that Golden State has not been playing very well. They've uh, seemed to lose interest in a lot of the games. I mean, they, they, Steve Kerr had other players coaching the team the other night because they are so bored. Uh, I don't know that they even make it out if they play heads up against the Rockets. So right now, I probably would put it on Cleveland. This, this energized, energized and having fun LeBron James is not anything I want to go up against if I'm an opposing team. It's just he looks like he's having fun again, and that's a dangerous thing for NBA teams. Has uh, has the ball scenario, or uh, I, I guess you know, whatever you want to call it, the persona of, of the ball family, have they changed the way people perceive uh, the NBA, and especially perceive the way parents are involved with athletes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's real hard to uh, excuse me find somebody who likes the Ball family. And not only that, but Lonzo's future in L.A., it depends on the Lakers <coughs> wasting draft picks or signing their his other two kids who are both terrible. Uh, I mean, that, that's the thing to me that will keep Paul George and keep uh, LeBron James away from the Lakers uh, is this douche. So uh, I, I think he wields too much power right now uh, within the Lakers organization, and I think it could be uh, for all the Lakers are trying to do. I think it could wind up being the downfall of the Lakers. No star wants to go there and be called out by this idiot on uh, on a daily basis. So I, I think this is really going to hurt their chance of getting free agents, even though they've cleared all this cap room. So we're in the All-Star break. Obviously, uh, when we get after the All-Star break, people start looking at who's going to be uh, making a move, who's going to be doing what in the All-Star move. Who should we, uh, in our, during the All-Star break, I'm sorry, who should we be looking at, who should we be watching after the All-Star break? Huh. Well, I mean, I think that uh, if there's a chance that Gordon Hayward comes back this year, which he says there's a slight chance you could watch what Boston does, you know, the sleeper team uh, really has been the Toronto Raptors. They've they've played amazing basketball, and nobody's really talking about them. Obviously, I, I think a lot of it's because they are in Canada. Uh, so the, the Raptors are an interesting uh, group to watch. And I think that the uh, Spurs really needed to get, the, get it together. I think there's some turmoil and dissension there. Uh, but it'll, it'll be interesting to see with some of these buyouts, uh, you know, where those guys kind of land. And again, I don't know that the uh, that the Cavs are necessarily done. I think you could see them add a couple of buyout players, which they did uh, right after the All Star break last year. But uh, I would keep my eye, uh, you know, on the Raptors and and see what's happening there, and again on the Spurs. We're talking with Mo from the BS Sports Show. Mo, as as we uh, uh, look forward into the MLB season, we're into spring training. I mean, you, as much as I hate it, as much as I hate the Cubs, I, I still think that they, they have an opportunity to win the National League Central. I think they have an opportunity to win the World Series again this year. If, if you, Darvish, can forget what happened last year in the World Series, I, I like uh, – I like the addition to the bullpen. I like, I mean, what the Cubs do on offense. I think they still need a leadoff hitter. Uh, and I don't think they're done tinkering yet. You know, there's still a bunch of uh, good free agents out there that where those uh, things need to fall. So 
Uh, yeah, I, I don't think I think the Cardinals have made some good additions, but I don't think they've made enough to catch up to the Cubs yet. And did you hear that uh, Tony Rizzo uh, of the the Cubs uh, was graduated from the school down in Florida where that shooting was? Yeah, he left spring training the other day to go down there and be a part of the the, uh, the vigil and some of those ceremonies. So yeah, he that uh, that is a true story. Yeah, it's a sad story, and it's unfortunate that that we're talking about it yet again. And and, and you know, it's unfortunate that that it happened. And I just hope that that uh, we can do some things to prevent it from happening uh, again. You know, I'm I'm not the uh, take your guns away kind of guy, but it was just a, a sad story this week that that unfolded down there in in Florida. So, uh, Mo, let's let's talk a little bit about the NCAA. We we talked about it with Kent Sterling. We talked about IU, and you know, some of the struggles that they're having. And but one of the things that I want to talk about is this shakeout uh, with the FBI that could happen or may not happen. But here's here's another thing that was mentioned earlier on in the show, and that's that Notre Dame and the SEC and others are thinking about it, depending on what happens with this FBI shakeout and scandal and, and everything associated with this, are really thinking about breaking away from the NCAA. Now, I don't know if they can do that. I don't know the legalities to that. Uh, but if they do do that and become a competitor to the NCAA, that could be really bad for the NCAA. Well, it would be really bad for college sports in general because at that point, Who's who's ruling over it? If you break away and you're governing your own yourself, who's not going to break rules and who's going to who's going to report stuff? You know what I mean? So uh, it would be bad for probably college athletics in general, just because you've got places and, and universities, big time universities, running free, and and guys getting money from boosters and things like that. So it, it would probably be the downfall of college athletics as we know it. Let's talk about the top 10 as, we, as we're looking at the top 25 that was updated. Uh, Purdue's fallen down. Uh, they're, they've fallen all the way down. Uh, they're still in the top 25, and they're still in the top 10, but they've fallen down to number eight. Uh, the Boilermakers uh, seem to have gotten into a bit of a slump, uh, which I think is not going to be detrimental to them. I, I think they'll still be able to get into the tournament uh, okay. But uh, what do you think has been the problems and issues that Purdue faced uh, this this year? Because they started off, you know, so hot, but here at the end of the year where it really counts, it seems like they're they're on a slippery slope. Well, they've played worse. Uh, they've played worse defense, obviously. Their, their big men inside have – have not played well. The ball hasn't been booming around as much. You know, a lot of the times the ball stopped with the Dakota Mathias. Uh, and, you know, I just think they've run into teams. Uh, I think they got a little bit uh, lackadaisical after winning so many in a row. And, and it started with the uh, the Ohio State game. And, you know, they've lost three straight. So I think it's, it's a team that's uh, hit a little bit of a slump shooting-wise. The ball isn't moving as much as it had been. And uh, I think something that Matt Painter needs to correct that quickly. Purdue always seems to falter. Uh, when it becomes uh, the important games, the tournament time. So uh, it's something that Penner definitely needs to correct quick. Got to look at the University of Houston. Uh, they uh, ended uh, the Bearcats, Cincinnati Bearcats, 16-game win streak uh, with their 67-62 victory. Houston's the real deal. They're moving up the slope instead of down the slope. Yeah, they're another fun team that uh, the people just don't talk about or don't know about. And I think that uh, Cincinnati win definitely opened some people's eyes to them. They are a team that I definitely wouldn't want to play come tournament time. 
Virginia Tech is the number one team. The number two team is Michigan State. Tom Izzo caught up in the middle of all of this junk and this Larry Nassar fallout and things that he knew about, didn't know about, not necessarily pertaining directly to Larry Nassar, but uh, just the fallout. And Michigan State's in the spotlight. Uh, do we see Michigan State in the tournament this year? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're a no-brainer at this point. Uh, you know, the thing that's concerning is they have another player uh, under investigation for sexual assault who was a walk-on who's still on the team who hasn't been suspended. Uh, and then, of course, uh, their football coach, Mark D'Antonio, yesterday getting another uh, extension. So, obviously, it's been since usual Michigan State, and uh, you'll probably see the, the Spartans for the number one seed. And, and uh, as long as they're playing on the tournament, people tend to stop talking about it. It's what always seems to happen. We got number three, Xavier, number four, Villanova. Villanova had a great game last week against Butler, and Butler's right there. And I, I think we can't rule out Butler either. I mean, I, I love watching Butler. I'm a fan of Butler next to IU, so I enjoy the, their successes. But they were able to stay right there with number four, Villanova. Villanova is a tough team and certainly uh, tough to beat. But when you look at Butler's success, a, a, if they were able to beat uh, Villanova, that shows a lot. But to me, what showed a lot is how close they, they played Villanova. Well, and they handed Villanova their first loss of the year earlier in the year. So uh, they're definitely a tough, scrappy team. And, uh, you know, they've had to deal with uh, a lot of adversity with uh, with coaching turnover, uh, you know, three, four times now over the last couple of years. So uh, they're definitely a fun, scrappy team to watch. And, again, there's, you know, there's so many of these teams that I wouldn't want to meet when it comes uh, uh, tournament time. And, and Butler's definitely one of them. I mean, they, they've proven over the years they can hang with anybody and beat anybody. When was the last time we saw Texas Tech be rated higher than Duke? And that's exactly what happened this week. They are number five. Duke is number six. The Red Raiders uh, are really, to me, showing that that uh, that they're in it for in it to win it. And a lot of people aren't talking about the Red Raiders. No, you know, and it's. Uh, it, I think that's good for them. I think they're a team that definitely does better when they're flying under the radar. Uh, you know, if, if, if I'm the Red Raiders is definitely where I want to be right now at this point, just kind of, kind of sailing under, uh, under the radar, because I, I think that's better. I think they're a team that plays better when there's not a lot of pressure on them. So, uh, I, I definitely think that's, this is the better way for them. The Tigers uh, of Auburn uh, certainly showing a good showing as well. Uh, they have a, a two-game lead over Tennessee in the SEC standings. Uh, talk with us a little bit about the Auburn Tigers. Well, they're a team that's going to come crashing down uh, at some point with this uh, whole FBI, FBI investigation. I would assume that Bruce Pearl's out yeah. uh, when more yeah. of this comes to light. Uh, I assume there's probably going to be some players who are ineligible. I wouldn't doubt it if uh, a year or two from now they're vacating this whole season. I tell you what, this whole thing is I, – I, I, I'm like on the fence with this whole FBI thing, this pay-to-play play thing, because – Really, there's one part of me I don't really care. I mean, I don't care if someone has a nicer apartment or they're able to drive a nicer car. I don't care if uh, there's endorsements being going on between Adidas and Nike, and whether you've got an Adidas school and a Nike school. I don't care. It should have all been allowed to begin with. I think if all of this was because this has been going on for months, and as to me, college basketball is becoming somewhat of a of a 
of a joke, if you will. The the NBA rule, one year in college. Now let's let's face it. If you're if you're going to the NBA and you're only spending your one year in college, let's face it. You're only spending six months in college, uh, and you're getting paid. Uh, whether it's uh, above the table or below the table, you are you're getting paid. You're going to do your six months, and then you're going to go on and get your line in the NBA uh, draft. I think that you know. From what we're hearing, and from what we, if we're to believe things that we read, now, granted, you can't believe everything that you read on the internet, but there's some pretty reliable sources that are talking about that this FBI scandal can touch everyone. And if it brings down the NCAA, it can, I mean, it may not be the world as we know it. No, and I don't think that many people care about college basketball as they did 15, 20 years ago. I don't know how terrible it would be. I think most people assume that most of these college, big program college basketball players are being paid anyways. Uh, if, if it's the way it's going to be, then, then let everybody do it. Don't make it against the rules. It's just it's, it, it's, uh, it's something salacious and fun to read. But at the end of the day, I don't – I mean, let's be honest, the NCAA is inept. Uh, you know, what do they really do other than count money? So it might not be the worst thing in the world, but it's going to get very salacious, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, what, what programs it brings down. Well, absolutely, and, and then you got to look at the the financial investments of, of major networks that, yeah, like CBS, makes into the March Madness, and you know or they chunk a lot of money into this. And if we've got teams, um, you know, just really low ranked teams that weren't involved in any of this, that they're now in, in, in your your Final Four, that's going to hurt ratings. It's, it's going to hurt everybody across the board. And, and at the end of the day, it is going to hurt their cash cow. You've been watching the Olympics at all, sir? Not one bit. I, I hate the Olympics. It's become such a political thing for me that I have completely yes, turned out not one thing in the Olympics interests me at all. I understand completely. I did hear, though, now, I, and, and this was brought up on the show earlier, and I had not heard it, but I heard that Sean White, there's another allegation of sexual assault other than the one that we already knew. So uh, this whole thing is, is kind of getting a mess, uh, and that's for sure. We're not going to really do any balance extra today, sir, uh, but uh, we will uh, be uh, resuming that again uh, soon. Uh, any final words of uh, wisdom or thoughts of, of bravery that you'd like to give us, sir? Uh, well, as Casey Kasem used to say, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. There you go. There you go. Muff with the BS Sports Show. Where can people find you working your masterpieces, sir? Uh, at Mo Radio Show on Twitter, which will uh, feature some big announcements here in the next couple of weeks. Well, we're, we're looking forward to it. Are you signing your big contract with uh, ESPN or uh, Fox Sports Radio? Or there, there will be some movement. Yes. <laughs> okay, buddy. We'll we'll look forward to, uh, to it, and uh, uh, we'll make sure we get the news out there. Nothing you want to break on our show today? No, but I, I promise you that when it does, I will I will give it to you first. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right, buddy. You have yourself a good day, sir. All right, Tom. Love you, dude. Thanks, man. You too, brother. Mo from the BS Sports Show uh, joins us uh, and certainly talks NBA. Uh, we always enjoy having him on. Uh, we just BS about sports. Uh, that's that's what we do. Thanks to Tyson Lodgeschlager, VonPitRoad.com, uh, joined us to talk about Daytona 500 as well as uh, Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor from Popular Open Wheel Now, has uh, joined us as well as Kent Sterling from the Kent Sterling Show, AM 1430 here, local in Indianapolis, and talks to, with us about the Colts the uh, Pacers and uh, IU basketball and NCAA basketball. Rick Riggin, 
our college uh, analyst uh, and all-around good guy joined us and talked with us a little bit about IU and college and uh, helped us uh, help uh, old Joe from Plainfield out a little bit as he gets adjusted to the Twitter. And uh, it was good to have Joe from Plainfield on and talk with us about what he's up to. And, you know, uh, always fun to have Joe from Plainfield on. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll uh, certainly uh, be following him on Twitter and get his uh, Twitter information out there uh, for you as well. And also, uh, Solly from Boston gave us a call. We're, we're going to ha- be getting to know Solly as well, too. So, Solly and Joe from uh, uh, Plainfield are two uh, uh, people that we'll be uh, looking forward to getting to know here on The Balance. And, and uh, thank you again, also, Mo, from the BS Sports Show. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. We do this thing called The Balance every Saturday morning between 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. live. And uh, then, of course, you can catch us on uh, TuneIn and iTunes or Apple Podcasts as well. Uh, So join us next week right here on the Balance Radio Network. Follow us at T-Balance. Don't drink and drive. It isn't cool. I'm out of here, dude. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.